0: Thank you for checking out the Life Church Utah podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. If you'd like to give to Life Church, you can do so by texting the word LCGive to 43506. And now, a message from one of our pastors. Um, so we're, we're finishing or uh, working through our series, uh, Divine Direction, and we're now on week five, heading making our way through finishing up this on uh, November 24th. Uh, there. Let me let me try to connect the dots for what's happening so far in divine direction. So a couple of things are happening here as, we, as uh, pastoral staff. We get together and we talk about the messages and kind of the direction we're heading with them. And uh, all of us, myself, Pastor Dustin, Pastor Marco, who uh, share weekly, uh, we were saying how challenging this series has been for ourselves. And I want you to know this, Oh Siri, just no, I wasn't talking to you, Siri. <laughs> how ch- whatever the series is what I said, and Siri popped up. Um, <laughs> So I want to let you know how challenging this is. If any of you ever public speak, like on a regular basis, any of you public speak? Okay, I've got a handful of you that do that. You'll understand this next statement. There's a conversation happening in your head whenever you're speaking in public. Usually mine goes, I can't believe you just said that, Rich. What are you thinking? That's what's going on in my head as I'm speaking to you. But in all of this, God is really challenging, especially uh, the the past four weeks we've had. Uh, We need to start something. Right? We need to stop something. We need to stay faithful in a particular decision, or God's challenging us to go. And so all four of those things, when we are preaching, guaranteed what God is doing in our hearts is saying, Rich, this is for you, buddy. What are you starting? You're asking everybody else to do it, so what are you starting? That's how God speaks to me a little sarcastically at times. (laughs) Rich, what are you stopping? Rich, where are you trying to be faithful? What is it that I'm calling you to go to? So this conversation is happening in my own heart, on my own heart as well, and so this is how it all ties in together. Though, when you're starting a new pursuit, stopping a bad habit, staying in the midst of a storm, or taking a step of faith, you will discover that God is also asking you. And over the next three weeks, here's what God is asking us to do. He's asking us to serve others. He's asking us to commit or um, to connect in community, and then finally. And ultimately, all of this is to trust him with the outcome. We trust him with the outcome of all of these decisions that we're making. So in making these decisions, and maybe you've run across this already, uh, starting something, stopping something, going somewhere or somewhere in our own hearts or in physically heading out somewhere or staying faithful, uh, you find out that there is a battle that's happening inside your own heart against yourself because... How many of you know that we are selfish? Point to somebody who's selfish in the room right now. Okay, don't do that. Um, we, I want to do what I want to do. Right? I, I want to do what makes me feel better or feel good. What feels good to me, that's what I want to do. And here's how we know that this has really taken root in American culture. Amazon, for, for some things, they have an option for same-day delivery. And for some of you, that's not fast enough. I've been there before, the other day I was ordering something that I needed, and, I'm like, and it had same-day option, and I'm like, oh, if they just had something quicker. <laughs> what am I thinking? Plan ahead, right? That's the big thing there. But we have in our culture this idea that, you know, I want what I want, and I want that right now, because at the core, there's a selfishness. It's kind of this consumer mentality that takes over us, and it shows up as well in the church, doesn't it? It shows up in the way that we treat one another. It shows up when we put ourselves above those around us. It shows up in our music, right, that, that we hear on the radio. It shows up in the TV shows we watch, our entertainment. That selfishness is just baked into the system. Um, have you ever seen someone sit down with a two-year-old and have a conversation that goes something like this? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get down like you would with a two-year-old. Now, now sweetie, I'm not going to look at anybody because I don't want you to think I'm talking to you. So now, sweetie, I'm going to teach you to be selfish today. So when I give you this, when I give you this toy, what I want you to do when somebody comes up to, to take it, I don't want you to give it to them. but What I want you to do is I want you to yell loudly, mine, no. Have you ever had to teach a two-year-old to be selfish? No. How many of you have a teenager that you would echo that that is easy to show how many of a spouse that no, okay, right? So, so this is in us. Right? It, it happens. There's nothing we can do to get away from the reality that we are selfish. From the youngest of us in here to the oldest here, we fight this. It's within us. Now, one of the problems is, is that it's in our culture as well. I mean, it just kind of shows up. So we who are trying to follow after Jesus with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we have this battle going on within us all of the time to get away from that consumer mentality and to say, okay, God, what do you have for us? Uh, a, a, an illustration for this. I've got a video clip I'm going to show you. Um, it even This whole thing even shows up in our conversations we have with people. Uh, maybe you're in a party setting and you're telling stories and, and uh, then other people want to talk about themselves or whatever. Just watch it. Sorry, the video, the quality isn't great, but you'll still get the gist of it. Make sure it's, it's plenty loud. I was at a dinner party recently. A bunch of people that I don't know. One guy talking plenty for everybody, and then me, myself, right, and then I, and then myself, right, me, me. I couldn't tell this one about I, because I was talking about myself, and then me, 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 me. Beware the me monster. So I tried to jump in with a little story. I don't want to just sit there the whole night. Right when I'm done with my story, this guy goes, that ain't nothing. Don't Didn't mean to waste everybody's time. Telling my nothing story. Here, let Marco Polo speak. He's back with tales of adventure. Maybe you've met people like that before, right? The Munster. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's us. And I've got to be really honest with myself. There are times when I'm having a conversation with somebody who's telling a story. In the back of my mind, I'm just like that. Oh, yeah? I've got even a better story. And I can't wait for you to be quiet so I can tell it, right? So we face this in our lives, and it is so real. But this isn't the way that it has to be. We don't we don't have to have this me monster, whereas my kids they try to make me say monster, because that's the right way it's written, but I like saying monster, all right? So the me monster living within us doesn't have to be this way. Because when all of culture says fill yourself, God tells us to fill others. All culture around us is like fill yourself, fill yourself, fill, 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 fill. Get what you can right now, get it. And God says, it's all about the other. And this is truly countercultural. You know, when you start talking about uh, not doing for yourself, our culture pushes against that because it's the messages that we are receiving all around us all of the time. And we're really confronted in that moment when we start trying to serve Jesus because we feel this conflict growing within us that we shouldn't be bound by this me monster living within me right now, right? We shouldn't be bound by it. And yet, for some reason, it is still there, alive and well, especially when we're trying to follow after Jesus. And so Jesus comes into our lives, and this is where the confrontation really begins, because there's a battle that happens between the kingdom of this world and the true kingdom, God's kingdom. And, and God's kingdom is completely upside down from this world's kingdom. God's kingdom speaks totally differently. So how can we be successful in joining in the kingdom that God wants us to be in rather than this kingdom of the me monster? Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus recognizes this battle that we face. And here's what he has to say about this. And let me warn you, what I'm going to talk about in the next few minutes doesn't feel good. This is not one of those things you go, oh, man, thanks, Pastor. Let me just, let me just keep listening to that over and over again. Because this is so countercultural to what we are taught, what we see around us in the world, and what the world celebrates. He says this, Matthew 16, 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. This is the formula of discipleship. This is the formula of having Jesus first and foremost in your life. This is the formula of killing the me monster and allowing the kingdom of God to be expressed in your life. And, and so, so breaking this down, whoever wants to be my disciple, I love this because Jesus opens this door up wide to everybody. He's not saying only this particular group of people or only this group of people that, of this economic class or this type of skin color, whatever. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple. If you look at the disciples that were following after Jesus, that was a messed up group of people. They had problems and issues and anger management things going on and they fought among themselves and we're going to see some of that here in just a minute. We see this around. These are the disciples Jesus held closest to him and he says, I've got a plan for them and I want them to go into all the world. This is a messed up group of people just like us. And he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. What does it mean to deny yourself? <laughs> it means just that. <laughs> right? To deny yourself to go without. It means to put others before you. It means putting Jesus first, it means putting your spouse, first it means putting your children, first it means putting means to deny yourself. We have disciplines in the church world like fasting, where we deny ourselves for a season and, and we fast and, and no longer do with. Other uh, times we deny ourselves by the decisions we make in our life to no longer engage in an activity or no longer be something or whatever. We say, God, I'm doing this to deny myself. For me, sometimes, Arby's Jamoka Shake. Anybody with me on that? Yes. Right? I'm driving by and I am completely powerless to destroy the me monster living in me. And I find myself in the line and my son's laughing because he knows how big this battle is in my life. The other day he comes in with one. I'm like jace goes hey dad look at this <laughs> it's like the large it's like this massive thing and i'm like drooling whatever so it's just this this thing deny yourself and there are times when i'm really good at it and i drive right by arby's and i'm so excited that i made it past it and other times i find myself in that line and how often do we do this when we try to deny ourselves but the key to denying ourselves is that next phrase take up the cross Now, for the disciples who who lived, we don't live in an era where the cross is part of the culture the way that it was in Roman society. But the cross is an instrument of death. And at this point, when Jesus is telling his disciples this, to take up your cross, um, there is no resurrection after the cross. Right at the time when Jesus was sharing this, Jesus had not himself experienced the cross so the disciples knew that to be on the cross and take up the cross is to die. And Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, give up your rights to your own life, to give up to you doing it your way, to give up you always being pleased take up your cross, and he says to follow him. He's the one who now guides us. And and this is, according to Jesus, this is discipleship. And it's not easy. I think all of us, no matter how long we've been following after Jesus, all of us would come up to points in our life and we would say, boy, this this is an ongoing difficult decision for me to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow after Jesus. Because sometimes it doesn't feel good to follow because we have to deny ourselves. So the question is, did the disciples get it? Did the disciples figure all of this out? And there's a couple of stories that I think will uh, help us understand that this battle of the kingdoms is going on in the lives of the disciples just like it goes on in ours. And it might reveal for us which kingdom is alive and well in the disciples' heart. As well as which kingdom is alive and well in our hearts, uh, Jesus and his disciples had uh, kind of on their way back from a season of ministry that they had gone out into the kind of the highways and byways and other villages in the area of Galilee in uh, in, in Israel. And in Mark chapter nine verse thirty three, we run across this story. It's great. It says, after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples. What were you discussing on the road? So Jesus heard the mumbling in the back and maybe even voices starting to get raised. And this is what it says. But they didn't answer. Have you ever asked your children, hey, what were you talking back in the back of the car? And then they don't answer. (laughs) This is exactly what's going on. They're a bunch of children, right? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. I love that. If you have more than one child, they're guaranteed to argue which one is the favorite. Guaranteed, it's going to happen. My brother, I'm 49 years old, my brother is 52, and we still have this weird adolescent thing going on between us as to which one is the favorite of my mom. I have no idea. I know I'm the favorite, but there are times... (laughs) There are times when, like, I'll call my mom and she doesn't call me back. But in the meantime, I'll hear that my brother talked to her Without her calling me back, and then my brother will say, Hey, Rich, just so you know, I'm mom's favorite now. <laughs> like that. It's so bizarre. It's so weird that that thing's going on. But this is what they were arguing about. Who's the greatest? And speaking of moms, another gospel picks us up somewhere. way. Matthew chapter 20 says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Now, the sons of Zebedee are also called the sons of thunder, uh, they were the arguers. They were the very passionate uh, brothers. They, uh, she came up to Jesus with her sons. So picture that, you know, you got a picture it. Je- uh, you know, here comes, uh, here comes the mom with the two sons, James and John, up to Jesus. And then, th- then they all kneel down to Jesus, just setting the stage. They kneel down before him. She asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? The me monster's alive and well. She said to them, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand, one at your left, in your kingdom. <laughs> That's a, Now, Mom, when Mother Bear gets kind of hooked on to something, you can't deny Mother Bear, right? And it says this, and when the ten heard it, so there's 12 disciples, when the other ten heard it, they were indignant with the two brothers. The Monster is alive and well, even in the disciples. Uh, so how does Jesus respond to this? There's a couple of requests, and these might be tied in together in the whole story, but in the, uh, in the Gospels, the way they're written kind of separates them. But it says this in Matthew chapter 20. So remember, you've got, G- you've got Jesus standing there probably, or maybe sitting down, uh, James and John kneeling, and their mother kneeling, and Jesus called them to him. So the other disciples, now who are arguing amongst themselves and indignant at the two brothers, says this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. So really, Jesus is calling these the mom and the two sons like, this is what the Gentiles, this is what the culture of the day, this is what the meme monster is celebrating right now. Who is the greatest? Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your, and this makes us uncomfortable, must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Folks, this is upside down from the world around us. And later on with the Mark passage, it says, He sat down called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. You must be a servant. Because in serving, what happens is we begin the death and destruction of the me monster that lives so easily within us. When we choose to follow Jesus, we give up our rights of position, We give up our rights of authority. We give up our rights for ourselves. And we say, Jesus, whatever you want, we want to serve you. So how did Jesus picture this for the disciples? There's this great story in John chapter 13. And Jesus, this is the night before he heads to the cross. The disciples, we call it the Last Supper. And and in the book of John, it's like four or five chapters long. It's a very, very long, very detailed account of what happens at the Last Supper. And it says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to his father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Other versions say he showed the full extent of his love. It says that he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments. And I want to pause there for just a moment. In the culture of that day, which is a very, very dusty culture, they didn't have the nice you know, paved roads that we have, like what we have, very dusty and things like that. And so dust would collect on the feet of the disciples and anyone who's walking around uh, in, through the cities. And so one of the roles of the servant that would be there would be to wash their feet. And for some reason that hadn't been taken care of on this particular evening. Perhaps the disciples were talking among themselves, who's going to do this? You do this? No, I don't want to do that. That's for servants to do. Jesus, it says, laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and wash them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. This shows the full extent of his love as he became a servant. Now, the thing is, it's really easy to do servanthood and yet not kill the me monster. Because think about it just for a moment. Uh, in in all of this it says whoever wants to be first must be last and so the me monster can be really alive and well if it's just a positional thing because you can say to yourself I want to be first and now I know the formula to be first is I am going to serve because ultimately I'm going to be first (laughs) and that's a problem and that's not at all what Jesus is saying because Jesus is dealing with the heart that heart this is where it starts folks The Bible says, out of the wellspring of the heart come the issues of life, it says in Proverbs. So Jesus wants to deal with the heart. So serving isn't something that we do. A servant is who we are called to be because when we serve, we become like Christ. When we serve, when we deny ourselves, when we put others above ourselves, When we give our lives, there's all these paradoxes in the Word of God. When we give our lives, that's when we find them. When we serve others, we're serving God. We are more blessed when we give than when we receive. So the church, we as the church, as the people of God, we should be marked by denying ourselves and serving others. This should just be what we are. And so Paul, who's a a great author, writes about two-thirds of the New Testament, um, had had an incredible transformative event in his own life, transformed to the very core. This is what he says about the church and how the church should respond with the gifts that we have. And we're going to wrap up here. I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up here as we close out. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8. It says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So how do these gifts show up? How do you know which gift is kind of the, the one that is most natural for you. I'm going to help you with that real quick And a uh, story here. So imagine you're at a table in a restaurant with your close friends about to share some delicious dessert. You see one of your friends about to stick their fork in the cherry pie, but you notice that it's right on the edge of the table. And before you're able to do anything about it, the, uh, he, he sticks his fork in that thing. That cherry pie falls all over him right into their lap. What you do next might be a clue to the gifts that you have in your life. So think about yourself here. Number one, do you jump up and offer to help? Do you grab a napkin, rush over to do whatever you can to clean up the mess? If so, you probably have the spiritual gift of serving. That's a good thing. Do you look at the poor victim and offer wise advice? Say something along the lines, you know, there really is a better way to eat pie. First, you should always keep it a half half an arm's length away from the edge of the table. And maybe if you're inclined to lead a Bible story, right, uh, you might say, you know, this incident reminds me of when Jesus gathered with his disciples at the table. In fact, I realized as I studied that the Greek word for table is, if this is you, you might have in your heart to be a teacher. If you slap your leg, laugh out loud and exclaim, you've done far dumber things than this, because you want to make your friend feel better about what they just did, you very well might be an encourager. If you offer to buy your friend another piece of pie, then offer dessert for everybody else at the table for the trouble that it's causing, you probably have the gift of giving. Or you have a sweet tooth, one of the two. If you start organizing a crew, getting everyone else to follow your detailed instruction to clean everything up, you probably have the gift of leadership. And then finally, if you look on and say, wow, I can't believe you didn't notice how close your plate was to the edge of the table. You should have seen this coming. You might be gifted with the gift of prophecy. (laughs) Right? So we all have these gifts. And one of the greatest ways to kill the me monster in our lives that I know of is to serve in the body of Christ. Because when we serve, we're just like Jesus. I think of a couple of people who are part of a part of our church, Kyler and Lucy. Uh, some of you might know them, uh, great couple. All right, they're getting married next Friday, can't wait to marry them. Um, and they, they talk about the consumer mentality that they used to have when they just attended Life Church. and they attended Life Church for, for quite a while. Um, and then all of a sudden they started realizing, hey, we're just sitting here doing nothing. And so they said, well, we're just going to go ahead and start the first place we know. And they started in a life group. And so they started in that life group for young adults. And then they took that next step because they kept hearing about the needs that are just kind of around the church. And they're now uh, serving faithfully in uh, real-life student ministries. And God is using them to impact the lives of students. And what they say is, we are getting far more out, right? And this almost sounds selfish. (laughs) But they are growing by leaps and bounds because they are choosing to serve love their story. I think of Oscar and Skyler, a couple of teens that are usually here second service. They're greeters, love seeing their heart of greeting. And it started because somebody said, hey, why don't you serve with me? And they jumped into it and now serve faithfully on that. Um, another young lady by the name of Taylor out in Twilla, I heard about her this last week. Um, this is what she said, and maybe you're in this boat. Uh, she went up to Pastor Dustin. And she said, Pastor Dustin, is it okay if i don't have everything together if i if i still mess up from time is it okay if i serve in the church and pastor dustin said no you can't <laughs> no not really what pastor dustin said i believe is the heart right of god that says absolutely because look around you all of us are messed up just like the disciples we can serve together and grow and learn and be perfected in christ when begin to kill that me monster within us and say, Jesus, we want to deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow you with the vision of serving. The moments when you choose to serve others, the moments when you choose to put their needs first, these moments determine the kind of stories you will tell tomorrow. Parents, what kind of story do you want to be able to tell to your children about what it means to kill that me monster, to deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow after Jesus? They're going to see it through the way you serve. Spouses serve together. Uh, teens that are here are serving in our media department, serving, uh, serving all over the place and helping out with our hosting and uh, at the doors and greeting and ushering. This is a picture, a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. We invite all of us to stand to our feet here as we close out. But really, folks, this starts at the very beginning, back to that scripture verse. And in fact, Kelsey, can you throw that, that scripture verse back up there? The one um, um, Matthew, Mark, <laughs> when Jesus was talking to us, says, whoever wants to be my disciple, Matthew 16. Uh, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. You are here today and you have not made this first decision. And Jesus is inviting you to be his disciple. Jesus is inviting you to take that first step and saying, Jesus, I'm choosing to follow after you, and I know that that means I've got to deny myself. My rights are no more, and I'm going to follow you, Jesus, because you have my heart. You have my best interest in mind. Every head bowed, every head closed for just a moment. You're here today, and you say, Pastor, I know I need Jesus in my life he hasn't been first place there's a lot of the me monster still living within me and i know i haven't denied myself i've embraced the things of this world and that has to change today and if that's you in this place you say pastor i know i need jesus in my life and i want to receive him if that's you we pray that today's message is a blessing to you for more information about life church check us out at lifechurchutah.com